All right, this afternoon, our Torah portion is a double portion. Uh, during years that are not leap years on the Hebraic calendar, the Torah portions, some of them are combined together, which makes a double portion. This is the uh, portion of Archemot, which means after the death, and Kedoshim, which means holy ones. And it's taken from Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1, going all the way to chapter 20, verse 27. But we're going to kind of park our place in Leviticus 18. But even before we do that, we're going to springboard from a renewed covenant passage of 2 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 6. So Leviticus 18, and then also 2 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 6. So it's going to take me just a second to get to there too. So before we go any further, let's ask the Lord's blessing over the message. Lord, make our hearts receptive to hear your word. Not just to hear your word, but to understand it, to comprehend it, to mull over it, to contemplate it, to chew the cud, as it were, so that we can digest this and make it a part of our lives so that the things that we read and the things that we hear, the things that we learn will nourish us spiritually, cause us to grow spiritually and become a, a type of second na nature to us, that it'll short circuit the fallen fleshly knee-jerk reaction we have, and that a holy reaction would come as a result. And Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. So I guess if I could title this message, it, it would be, What Brings the Judgment of God? What is it that brings on the judgment of God? So in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, the Apostle Peter says, 6 through 10, He devastated the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing them to ashes, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Okay, so what was so bad about Sodom and Gomorrah that it was considered ungodly and it was uh, deemed necessary to destroy it. I mean, it used to it, it used to be against the law in the Western world to have a homosexual relationship, and it was deemed sodomy. And it comes from this word sodom because the men lusted after the men. Now that's not all that Sodom was was uh, uh, known for. In one of the prophets, I I think it's Ezekiel. I'm not I can't remember quite right. But it also explains that Sodom was not only destroyed for its sexual immorality, but it was destroyed because of its lack of compassion, its lack of human compassion, helping the poor, helping the needy. And we see that we're in the same position today. I mean, I, I just can't help but see pictures of, of you know, well-to-do well young people taking their photograph outside a famous store like Gucci or something, and then right out of shot from that selfie is a homeless person on the ground that they don't even give a second look to. It's as if those people don't exist, and it's not their responsibility to take care of them. That's the government's responsibility. No, not according to the Bible. If, it's, if, it's your, if, if you can help in any way possible, 
then it's our duty as believers to help people like that. But So that was another reason why Sodom was destroyed was because, number one, it's sexual immorality, but because of its, its lack of human compassion. And the rabbis say that that's the reason that the second temple was destroyed, was our lack of, of compassion for one another. And that was one of the reasons. So it goes on to say, Second Peter, I'll read chapter, uh, verse 2, chapter 6 again. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 6. My brain's getting dyslexic here. He devastated the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing them to ashes, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. That's another thing. is our society, we don't have examples anymore. Used to, there was punishment for certain crimes, which would be deemed as a deterrent. Well, gosh, if this guy stole and got his hands chopped off, I'm not going to steal. Oh, well, this guy got, uh, he, he got the death penalty for murder. Well, I'm not going to murder. Oh, well, this guy raped somebody. Well, he got castrated. Well, I'm not going to do that. There's no more deterrence. What's the whole purpose of locking somebody up for the rest of their life? They learn how to be better criminals. There was no lockup system in the Old Testament. In Israel, you either paid a fine or you got lashed or you got killed. You got executed. Those were pretty much the only options there. Now, let's say that somebody was a murderer. And they get locked up for the rest of their lives. Well, guess what? You can still kill in prison. They call it just to make a shank out of your toothbrush or whatever. You can still fulfill your, your you know, it's, you're not being rehabilitated. So we have a problem because the death penalty has been done away with. Because certain consequences for crimes have been done away with. Now we're at a point in our society where it's catch and release. Oh, well, I'll catch you for stealing, but I'm just going to release you. Just like fish, catch and release. It's not even a slap on the wrist. So what if I get arrested? I'm going to be put out on the street in like five seconds. Who cares? So there's really no consequence, no deterrent for crime. And we find our society at this very point that Peter's talking about. Verse 7, he rescued Lot, a righteous man, deeply troubled by the shame, by the shameless immorality of the wicked. Now, I've heard hundreds of sermons how Lot compromised and he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, he shouldn't have moved there. Well, if you really study the passage, maybe it would have been best that he didn't move there, but he moved there and he tried to make a difference where he was. He became a judge in Sodom. He tried to do what's right by becoming a judge and legislating righteousness. We know that all that doesn't always work well, but it said that the angels found him at the city gate, which is where judges sit. And when he tried to protect the angels from being sodomized, which means the angels somehow had a corporeal body. He said, no, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. Who made you judge and ruler over us? They even hinted that he was a judge. So, you know, Lot wasn't a perfect man. He definitely wasn't as righteous as his uncle Abraham. But nonetheless, he was a righteous man because it says he, God, rescued Lot, a righteous man, deeply troubled by the shameless immorality of the wicked. For that righteous man, while living among them, was tormented in his righteous soul day uh, after day by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. I kind of know how Lot feels. Turn on the TV, scroll through Facebook or through, through a Twitter feed. You'll easily see things that, that will just churn your stomach and torment your soul. All this ridiculousness that's going on, this wokeness that's going on in the world. So I kind of know how Lot feels because it's lawless. It may be legal by man's standard, but it's legalized lawlessness, 
according to God's standard. It's, it, I mean, God's standard is right and wrong. It doesn't change. It's been the same. Man changes what they, you know, what they desire. Uh, verse 9, therefore the Lord certainly knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous uh, uh, being punished until the day of judgment, especially those who follow after the flesh. That's what gets us into the trouble is following after the flesh because our flesh is fallen. It wants what it wants. It wants what's ungodly. It wants what's not good for us. Especially those who follow after the flesh in its unclean desires and who despises the Lord's authority. Brazen and arrogant, these people do not tremble while slandering glorious beings. I mean, used to, you would have to subscribe to like HBO or Skinamax. I mean, Cinemax. <laughs> Catch that joke there? Yes. Okay. Um, but now... I mean, that stuff you don't have to subscribe to. It's on prime time. It's there. It's like used to, it would be the red light districts, the neon lights in the smutty part of the city that you would get to hear that blasphemous stuff. But now it's out in the open and nobody's hiding their disdain towards God. Nobody's hiding their disdain towards Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. It's out in the open and nobody thinks anything about making fun of us and our faith and of our Messiah. But at least we don't go to the links that other religions do by throwing people off buildings or chopping their heads off. That's why they don't make fun of other certain religions, if you know what I'm saying. But it says, brazen and arrogant, these people do not tremble while slandering glorious beings. It's heartbreaking. This is what Lot lived through, and this is what we're living through today in our modern Western society of Canada and the United States. So let's jump to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, beginning with verse 19. This is all talking about forbidden relationships. And the Bible pulls no punches and spells it out pretty clearly so there's no mistaking, no wiggle room, no, well, what does this really mean? It says what it says. In chapter 18, beginning with verse 19, it says, You are not to approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in the impurity of her nida, her separation, her menstrual cycle. You are not to lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Yeah, it's pretty blunt. A little bit uncouth, especially reading this in mixed company, but that's what the Bible says. Verse 21, you are not to give any of your children in sacrifice to Molech and defile the name of your God, I am Adonai. So this Molech, uh, Molech, people would sacrifice their children, burn them alive. And that's how they would sacrifice their children. The modern day worship of Molech is the abortion industry. Now, rabbinic Judaism also equates the modern uh, educational system as a form of Molech because it is not teaching children the Bible. It is not teaching them morality and scripture and Judeo-Christian values. It is teaching them what the world deems as moral, which changes every 10, 15, 20 years. And we see where we're at now that in kindergarten, they're, they're displaying sex toys and trying to explain sex to kindergartners. They don't even know which crayon they wanna use next. They don't even know what they want to be when they grow up. They're, the, they're pretending to be fire trucks and cats and dogs and spacemen. How can you pervert them by showing them this stuff that they have no business seeing? 
But that's why it's so important in Judaism and a lot of evangelical Christian homes to have private schools and homeschools so that they don't have to be indoctrinated and assimilated into the godlessness, the anti-Judeo-Christianness of the educational system. So that's, that's the interpretation of Molech from a Christian standpoint and from a Jewish standpoint. Verse uh, 22, you are not to lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. <laughs> That's talking about homosexuality. There's no mistaking it. There's no reinterpreting it. There's no spiritualizing it. Well, it could mean this. Or does the Bible really say, no, it's pretty clear. You are not to lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. In other words, it's above and beyond what normal sin is. Normal sin is I want to lie to save my skin. Normal sin is I want to cheat so I can get a better grade. An abomination is something that is unnatural even to our fallen nature. It's something that is twisted and perverse, which is outside of God's character, outside of God's created order. God's created order is man and woman lying together, not men and men or women and women lying together. And so that's considered an abomination. Now, when God says it's an abomination, it doesn't mean he hates these people doesn't mean that he's going to damn these people to hell because he hates them. He still loves them, but what they're doing is abominable to him. It's loathsome. I could still love somebody and hate what they do. Hate what they do with a passion. People that are strung out on drugs and meth. I love them as a human being and as a person, but I hate their drug use. And I hate what the drugs are doing to them. I hate that they're addicted to the substance. So it says, you are not to lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. You know, now I could probably get in trouble on the internet for reading that verse because the C-11 bill has supposedly passed, which is censoring Canadian internet. I cannot speak the truth. I cannot say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and you can't swap genders. I can't say that gay is not okay with probably being fined or jailed or something of that nature. And all the while, the government feeding us their propaganda, what they want us to believe and how they want us to think. Free speech is dead, is all but dead in Canada. We are swiftly moving from socialism to communism. And people that are from, for socialism, this next step in the parade is always communism. It's never democracy. It's never anything else. You look through history and somebody goes the socialistic route. It always ends up with communism, which ends up in tyranny and dictatorship. Always, unless somebody is bold enough to stand up and stop that mad train. You are not to lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. You are not to lie with an animal to defile yourself with it. Every one of us says, oh, that's gross. But guess what? LBGTQ plus, that plus means that there's going to be something added to that. Pedophilia and bestiality will be normalized within the next five to ten years. I guarantee it. I'm not prophesying here. I'm just reading the writing on the wall. How can you justify that? Well, because they're not allowing you to say pedophile anymore. They're wanting you to say minorly attracted person because it doesn't sound so bad. Well, you know, that's just the way I show love to my pet. That's what it's going to be. Because, you know, it, it's not going to stop with transgenderism. It's going to be trans species. And there's a couple of people who've already attempted to cross that boundary. There is a guy who cleft his palate on purpose surgically, 
have pointed his ears and had whiskers surgically implanted into his cheeks, and he wears these eye-slitted contacts, he's a cat. He identifies as a cat. Another person slit their tongue and tattooed themselves head to toe with green scales. They're a lizard. They're trans species. That's, that's the way our world's going if people don't stand up and put a stop to this foolishness and this craziness. Okay, so it says, verse 23, you are not to lie with an animal to defile yourself with it, nor any woman to give herself to an animal to lie down with it. This is a perversion. Perversion means it's something that's twisted, something that's not right, something that's outside of God's intentions and his created order. Verse 24. Do not defy yourselves in any of these things, for in all these ways the nations which I casting out before you were defiled. The Israelites were entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan. The land that the Canaanites were squatting on was divine land given to Israel. And the reason that God was not going to let them squat any longer was because their wickedness has passed a threshold. Because they were involving themselves with homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, pedophilia, child sacrifice. That's God's limits. That's when God says, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm judging this people. How long does Canada and the United States have in God's eyes before he says, that's enough. I'm going to cause you to be conquered by a foreign entity. I'm going to disintegrate you as a nation because of your perversity. It can no longer go on in this world. Judgment will fall on Canada and the United States if we do not repent and begin to turn things back. Do not defy yourselves in any of these things, for in all these ways the nations which I casting out before you were defiled. The land has become defiled, so I will punish its iniquity. Iniquity means lawlessness. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. The land was created by God to do God's will, to do God's bidding. The, the, the land, if you will, is like a stomach. And we are the food that is in that stomach. When you eat something that doesn't agree with you, your stomach wants to vomit that up. Mm-mm, not in here. Ugh, right? And so it says, I mean, this is very crude language that the Bible is saying here is that the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Vomiting is something that's forceful. Vomiting is not something that's delicate and like, <coughs> excuse me while I vomit. Patooey. No, it's forceful. It's, it just comes from the very bottom of your gut and you can't stop it. You can try to swallow it back and hold it back, but it's going to come out. So vomiting is a very forceful thing, and it says that these Canaanites were so perverse and, uh, sexually that they were vomited out of the land. Verse 26, you, however, are to keep my statutes and my ordinances and do none of these abominable abominations, neither the native born nor the outsider dwelling among you. Just because somebody's traveling with Israel 
that's a foreigner, a sojourner, a permanent resident, if you will, doesn't mean they get a free pass to do the things the Canaanites do because they're not Israelite. No, if you, if you trek with Israel, you're going to do what Israel does. One law, the same law for the, the Israelite and for the sojourner. So the Lord's saying, look, you Israelites don't do this, but even these Gentiles who are following along with you and are a part of your community, they don't do these things either. For all these abominations were done by men of the land whom were before you, and the land became defiled. Defiled. So apparently sexual immorality defiles the land, but also the spilling of innocent blood defiles the land. Because, you know, it, it says when, when um, Cain killed Abel, the blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. The ground has been defiled and the ground is protesting this, this murder. Since abortion has been legalized in 1973, the land is saturated with innocent blood, like the blood of the children that was sacrificed to Molech being burned alive. Not only that, but just regular murders. Our land is polluted and we're ripe for judgment. For all these abominations were done by men and the land who were before you. And the land has become defiled. If you defile it, the land will vomit you out as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So here the Canaanites were doing such wicked things that the land vomited them out and Israel came in and took over the promised land. But he says, hey, don't get cozy. Don't get comfortable. Because if you do, you're going to end up doing the same things they did. And just because you're Israelite, just because you're my chosen people, doesn't mean you get a free pass. You will be judged in the same way that the Canaanites were judged. You will be vomited out too. Make no mistake about it because God is a holy God and he doesn't play favorites. So what brings judgment against a nation that professes the God of Israel as her God? I'm specifically talking about Canada and the United States. We are countries that were once deemed Judeo-Christian nations, which meant our civilization, our society, our laws were based upon the word of God. But since Obama and since Trudeau both have said publicly and is on the record saying we are no longer Christian nations. The Judeo-Christian values have been rejected. So what brings on judgment against a nation that professes the God of Israel as her God? Number one, impure sex and adultery. Verses 19 and 20. You are not to approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in the impurity of her nidah, her menstrual cycle. You are not to lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself by her. The other thing that brings judgment upon a nation besides sexual morality is abortion. Verse 21, you are not to give any of your children in sacrifice to Molech. And you know, the abortion thing hasn't stopped. You know, it's like, oh, okay, in the first trimester, it's okay. Years down the road, okay, second trimester, okay, now it's up to the point of birth. Now they're discussing, now partial birth abortion is on the table. Well, if the whole baby's hanging out besides the head, it's still technically not born, so we can still kill it. Now it's going to come to a point, and I guarantee you if it doesn't stop, that it's going to say, oh, well, the first couple hours after it's born, you can still opt to kill it. Oh, no, that will never happen. Well, we said that about other things. And, you know... It doesn't stop. <clears throat> Sin doesn't stop. It doesn't say, okay, this is exactly what I wanted. 
I'm going to stop. Because the whole LBGTQ movement, the first thing that they were saying is, we just want recognition. As long as we can have the same social standing as a married couple. You don't have to call it marriage. But we have a civil union. We'll be fine with that. Fine. We'll give it to you. Shut up. A couple years down. Nope. Nope. That's not good enough. We want to be recognized as husband and husband or wife and wife. We want the exact same things. Well, didn't you say just like 10 years ago that you would be satisfied with civil unions and now all of a sudden you want this? They keep moving the goalpost back. And that's what happens with every single piece of legislation. They keep moving the goalpost back. Okay, it's only this. And then once it goes down the memory hole, they move the goalpost back. No, actually, we want this. So now it's gotten to the point where it's like they're demanding that so many percentage of TV shows and movies have an LBGTQ character in them. So it's like you can't even go to a movie theater or watch shows anymore without having this stuff in it. You're going to have to be watching reruns of old stuff 20 years ago. Because there's nothing safe anymore, hardly, to watch on television. So impure sexual immorality, adultery, and abortion. The fourth thing that brings judgment upon a nation is the LBGTQ plus movement, pedophilia, and bestiality. Verses 22 and 23. You are not to lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. You are not to lie with an animal to defy yourself with it. Nor is any woman to give herself to an animal to lie down with it. That is a perversion. The above acts is what got the Canaanites booted out of Canaan, the promised land. And we already read about that. Obedience to God's laws is the only hope. Now. Might set better with you if I say God's instructions, because that's what Torah means. It doesn't only mean law. It means God's instructions. Well, I wish that life was, we came with an instruction manual. Well, it does. It's called the Bible. So in verses 20, 26 and 30, it says, You, however, are to keep my statutes and my ordinances and do none of these abominations, neither the native born nor the outsider dwelling among you. And then verse 30 says, therefore, you are to keep my charge so that you do not practice any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defy yourself by them. I am the Lord, your God. Another thing that was commanded of Israel when they entered the promised land is they were to wipe out every single vestige that the Canaanites even lived there. And what was the purpose? So that they wouldn't be tempted by what they saw and say, hmm, I wonder how the Canaanites worship their gods. I wonder why the Canaanites did this. Oh, this looks attractive to me. This is something different. So everything of the Canaanites was supposed to be wiped out. All their altars, their paraphernalia, every aspect of their culture was to be obliterated from the promised land so that they wouldn't be tempted to do it. So such sins brings physical exile as well as spiritual exile. Verse 29. For whoever does any of these detestable things, the souls that do them are to be cut off from the midst of their people. So what are we to do? There's a, uh, the majority of Christendom has says, oh, well, this is prophesied. This is what the Lord said was going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. Bullcrap. It's going to happen, yes. But how fast it happens depends on us. 
And we have to stand on solid footing, solid ground, and be unapologetic about our beliefs and say, this is right, this is wrong. I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if you call me this, that, or the other, or whether you ostracize me, I'm going to stand for truth. If there's a petition against it, sign it. If there's a protest, go to it if you can. Do whatever you can to stand up against the onslaught of the wickedness that's being perpetuated. And a lot of people are doing this now by boycotting. Okay, you're going to have some, you know, guy who pretends he's a teenage girl to be on the beer can of Bud Light. Well, I'm not going to drink Bud Light anymore. Oh, Netflix is going to show uh, Cuties, which is basically pedophilia pageant show. Okay, well, I'm going to cancel my Netflix subscription. Okay, well, so the Disney fully embraces the LBGDQ thing, and they're pushing it in their Pixar flicks even. I'm going to not watch their movies. Or, you know, if, if a clothing company buys into this, you know, it's like, why can't you just sell your product? I don't care what your philosophy is. I don't care what your belief is. I want to buy cheese and eat a grilled cheese. I don't care what your company thinks about the LBGTQ. What does that have to do with me eating cheese? Just sell your product. Why does every product have to be a political statement or even a spiritual statement? Like, I'm not crying out that uh, cheese companies needs to put a cross on their packaging or stamp a cross on their, their little cheese slices. I'm not saying that. I don't care. It's cheese. I just want to eat cheese. I don't want it to be modified, and I don't want it to be pushing some kind of agenda. Because my philosophy is, if you're woke, you're going to go broke. Look at what Bud Light has suffered. Billions of dollars. We're not talking chump change, but people have said, I'm not buying that no more because I don't go along with that. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be political here, but let's face it, Tucker Carlson was a voice of truth standing up for Judeo-Christian values. Let's put his political uh, leanings aside. He was talking about God and speaking about morality. He got axed from Fox, and Fox lost billions of or millions of subscriptions as a result, and rightly so. Because I haven't watched any of the secular news, including Fox, for years now because it's just all lies. And I can see how it's catering to the woke agenda. And I don't want, you know, if, if I see something on the news, I'm just going to assume the opposite is true. That's how bad it's gotten. So the U.S. and Canada one day will be taken over by a foreign power like China or Russia or a dirty nuke will cause our exile. That is if our leaders don't uh, if if our leaders didn't destroy things first. That's the way we're headed. And you know what? What are you going to do when you stand before God's judgment seat? Oh, don't worry, you're saved. You're going to get into heaven. But how are you going to answer God when He says, "What did you do to stem the tide of the wickedness in your country?" Well, I put a post on Facebook saying that I disagreed with it. So what? Most of the people on your Facebook are for your friends. They agree with you. You may have just a few that don't. So what are you really doing? What did you really do? We got to put ourselves to the screws and ask ourselves the hard questions. What are we doing to stem the tide of wickedness that's being perpetuated? Because you know what? Everything that's happened around us, it's our fault. It's Christianity's fault. Because we did not have the guts to stand up and say no. We will, not live, we will not stand for this. But we thought we were doing something good by saying, oh, you know, we're just going to go to church and we're going to complain by the, by the uh, four walls of the church 
and you know, we're just gonna, you know, yeah, this is wrong, and yeah, I'm against this, and yeah, yeah, and everybody agrees. But once you step outside of those four walls, you're just a quiet little church mouse. I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to get mad. I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want my bank account to be frozen. I don't want to get fired from my job, so I'm not going to say anything. Because you've done nothing, because we have done nothing, because I have done nothing, is the reason why Canada and the United States is in the state that it's in now. Because we were too chicken and spineless and not bold enough to do what's right and stand up against this and voice this. Let me uh, read to you one last passage in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Now, there's many different interpretations for this passage that I'm about to read. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you about these things? And you know what now holds you back from him to be revealed in his own time. Other translations talk about the restrainer and about the restrainer being removed. And some people think, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, that's the church. And after they're raptured out, there's not going to be any more restraint. So I would like to propose that I think the restrainer is the body of believers. We are the conscience of our nation. If we're the Jiminy Cricket of our nation and we're not speaking in the ears of our leaders and politicians, how are they going to know what's right and what's wrong? They're going to go by what they feel. And we walk by faith and not by sight, and our hearts are wicked, so our feelings are unreliable to determine what is truth and what is moral and what is immoral. Do you, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what now holds you back from him to be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already operating. Yeah, it's lawlessness. Oh, but, but, but legally it's okay. It's legalized lawlessness. If it's sin, and, and the powers that be legalize sin, it's still sin. For the mystery of lawlessness is already operating. Only there is one who holds back just now, until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Yeshua will slay him with the breath of his mouth and wipe him out with the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is connected to the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with every kind of wicked deception towards those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, so to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false. Listen to that. This is what the day we're living in. For this reason, because they have not accepted the love and the truth, and they have rejected salvation, for this reason, God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false. People today believe that cows farting in the field is negatively affecting our environment. How stupid is that? I'm sorry, but it's stupid. But people believe this. Oh, you know what? You're just a, a, a woman trapped in a man's body. 
People believe this. And 20, 30, 50 years ago, this would have been considered ludicrousness and foolishness. 50 years ago, in the diagnostic manual for psychology, it would have been deemed a mental illness. And now we're encouraging this. Let's, let's just brush religion aside and brush Judeo-Christian values aside. And let's just look at the science because they're always telling us to look at the science, right? I draw any one of you's blood and look at it under a microscope and check out the chromosomes. It's either going to be XX or XY unless you're a hermaphrodite. And in that case, you're going to have one set of genitalia that's going to work and not the other. And that determines what sex you are. But scientifically, it's just male and female. That's it. There's no Baskin-Robbins 31 genders. Yet people are believing this. They are deluded. It's a delusion, just as the scripture says. They perish because they did not accept the love and the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false, so that they may be judged. Judgment is coming because we have shut our traps. Judgment is coming because we've been silent on issues we should be speaking out against. So they may be judged, all those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in wickedness. And when we are judged, the ungodly who's taken in judgment, where's their blood going to end up? It's going to end up on my hands, and it's going to end up on your hands, and we're going to be answerable to it because we've led these people to be judged prematurely when we could have done something to hold it back, to stem the tide. We know it's eventually going to happen, but it's up to us as believers how fast we go to that point of judgment. And the only thing that's going to save our skins and the only thing that's going to save our nations is if we truly repent. God warned Judah. Deuteronomy 28. You commit these sins and you ignore my, my word, you're going to go into exile. They were in exile for 70 years as prophesied by Jeremiah and other prophets. That was during the lifetime of Daniel. And Daniel, as an old man, knew that the prophecy has been fulfilled and that they were going to go, they're going to return to uh, Judah from Babylonian captivity. What did, what, did, uh, what did Daniel and Ezra begin to do at that very moment when they realized that the time was close? They started repenting. They started telling other people to repent. And it was only because they're repentant that their exile ended. And it's only going to be because of repentance and revival that will ensue as a result of repentance that we are going to save our nation. That's not up to God. That's up to us as a people of God. That's up to us as believers. Let's pray. Lord, help us to listen to ourselves and to listen to our inner dialogue and reasoning and show us when we are making lame duck excuses for our actions and our behaviors, excusing us from standing up uh, for what is right. We're taking the lazy man easy way out because we don't want to be punished. We don't want to be penalized. We don't want anything bad to happen. But Lord, neither do I want to stand before you condemned in any way because I decided not to stand up or to speak out. Lord, we need the boldness of Daniel who even though he knew he was going to face the lion's den and wasn't guaranteed that he was going to escape it, 
nonetheless did the right thing, even though he knew he was going to be executed for it. Our brothers and sisters in Muslim-majority and communist countries are facing this every day of their lives, and there are martyrs being they're, – they're being killed every day because of your name because they refuse to shut up and back down. They refuse to play it safe and be a wallflower. They're standing up for the truth of you, for your word, and will not relent, will not recant, will not back down. They're going to receive a greater reward. And we've, we've grown soft because we've partially swallowed some of these lies that have been perpetuated for years and years. Lord, help us to get back to the purity of your word and wake us and shake us up and put a fire under our butts, Lord, to do what we can so that when we stand before you, we will not have the blood of innocent people on our hands because we were too afraid to speak out. We were too afraid to act. Help us to fully understand and realize that, yeah, prophecy is going to be fulfilled. There will be judgment. There will be end times. It will get crazy. It will be perilous. But we determine the speed at which it goes. And right now, it's like at a breakneck NASCAR speed. Lord, help us to maybe kind of curb it back to a horse and buggy speed. Give us the wisdom and the power through the Holy Spirit to do that. Help us to be bold and unashamed believers, but at the same time, not be so hard that we seem loveless or militant in an unbending way, but help us to stand lovingly yet boldly for righteousness so that they will see, our, see the truth and be convicted. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to understand your word more, to apply it more, to live it more. I never like to preach these hard sermons that seem like there's, you know, it's all gloomy, doomy or whatever, but it's truth and I've got to preach it regardless, Lord. And there's plenty of encouragement in the word. And if I can bring any encouragement or light to this judgmental sermon is to be that we can be the lights of this world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. That we can be that light that shines, that dispels the darkness, that causes the darkness to fear and flee. And that light is truth. That light is you. That light is Yeshua. That light is the word of God. We're on the winning side. We've got the winning team. We're, we've got the tools. We've got the, we've got the superior weapons, Lord. Help us not to be afraid to use them, Lord, for the honor and for the glory of your name. No matter what may come. Do not fear those that can take the body, but fear those that can take the body and the soul. So no matter what happens to us in this life, in this outer realm, nobody can take away the truth and what we have within us, Lord. So help us to teach and preach and propagate that very life-giving truth. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.